Well, good morning. Before we engage the message, I just want to take a moment to extend gratitude to this faith family. Uh, one of my boys, Jaden, was in the hospital for 10 out of 11 days over the course of the past couple of weeks uh, with a, a reaction to a, a medication he's allergic to. Uh, it triggered something inside him that caused the war, and he spent 10 days in the hospital. And man, that this faith family came around us, and you guys blessed us, you filled in the gap for us, you prayed for us, and, and for him in particular, and uh, I, I really sincerely want to say thank you uh, for being doing what the church is supposed to do and take care of its own. Jaden actually wanted to sit in church with us today, and he's up in the front row. Um, it's so good to have him with us. Um, he wasn't here the past two weeks, so it's such a blessing to have him with us today. And uh, his sisters are moving in with us this Wednesday, which is a note of celebration to share with the congregation, and I know he's excited about that, and you're going to get the chance to meet them next week, I, I think, at, at service. So. But thank you. Thank you for all you did for us the past couple of weeks. I really sincerely mean that. Well, this morning we are uh, in the beginning weeks of a new series of messages entitled New Lens. And uh, what I'm hoping to do, really what I'm hoping to do over the next six weeks is just simply start a conversation around the necessity of operating in, what, in life with a biblical worldview. What, what do I mean by that? Friends, there's no doubt in my mind that every single one of us looks at the world in which we live, looks at the issues that we face in life, really even looks at the direction we hope to move this side of heaven through a variety of lenses. Is that a fair statement? Well, like how does culture... How does a political persuasion, how does family background, how does even our own self-interest, how does all of that guide us in making any and every decision we are called upon in life to make? So what I pray is that ultimately the lens you will use to kind of answer those questions in your life is a biblical spiritual lens. And the reason being is I, I think in using that lens we come to the realization that our holy scriptures offer us insight on what God desires for each and every one of us. And friends, what God desires for us, hear this, should even trump what we desire for us. And the reason being it is God who created us. It is God who has our best interests at heart. So it should be the lens of, of the Bible, the lens of scripture, the lens of spirituality we really try to come to conclusions and answer questions this side of heaven. After all, God knows best, right? So, so last week, we started looking at the first day of creation. And uh, Genesis 1, 1, 2, and 3, we talked about really the, the, the main thing I was trying to, to push out there was that we serve a God that brings order out of chaos. And even though he did it at the beginning of time, we see in the scriptures that he did it again through the sending of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus once again brought order out of chaos on our behalf, for, for, for our benefit. And what we come to the realization in terms of the cross is, look, those mistakes we think are irredeemable can actually be redeemed. The things we have broken in our lives that we think are beyond repair can actually be fixed because of the cross, because we serve a God that can bring order out of chaos. Well, today we're going to stay in the creation narrative, but we're going to look at the other end of it. Uh, we're going to talk about the creation of humanity, the creation of you and me. And what I want to talk about most this morning is, is the, the idea of a, uh, the issue of identity, our identity. But identity most fully understood when we engage godly community, 
Not any community, but godly community. And again, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Listen to God's word on the creation of human beings. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion or rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and livestock, over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, I just again thank you for the opportunity to gather in this space uh, to, to lift up our voices in praise and thanksgiving for all that you do and all that you are, and also for your life-giving word. God, as I offer some reflection on that life-giving word, I just ask that you bless the words of my lips, the meditation of all our hearts, that they be a prophet to us and acceptable to you, for you indeed are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So for you, you movie buffs out there, and maybe if you're not a movie buff, you might have watched this movie, but do you remember the movie Castaway, starring Tom Hanks? It hit the box office roughly 20 years ago. If you didn't, that's okay. I'll tell you a little bit about the movie. Uh, first and foremost, it was truly a heart-wrenching movie. It starts out, Tom Hanks is a FedEx driver, uh, really well-known in those circles, and he has the opportunity to take a, a delivery uh, via plane to somewhere else in the world. And he gets on this plane, uh, you know, assuming he's going to be safe. Turns out the plane crashes. Tom Hanks, this FedEx driver, is the only survival, survivor, ends up alone on some deserted island in the middle of the sea. Uh, movie tells the story of his four-year-long journey of survival on this deserted island. The movie borders on the absurd, but at the same time speaks so profoundly to the, hum uh, to the need for, for community. Uh, in, the, in the moment where Tom Hanks uh, befriends a volleyball that was part of the cargo that, that, that washed up on shore with him, and he names this volleyball Wilson. Pretty original, right? I mean, every volleyball has the word Wilson on it. So he names his volleyball Wilson. Pr probably the most heart-wrenching moment of this movie it wasn't when he is rescued and goes back home to find that his serious girlfriend is actually married to another man and has a daughter. That's not the most heart-wrenching moment of this movie. The most heart-wrenching moment of the movie Castaway is when Tom Hanks makes a makeshift raft to try to get off the island. And in the process, not only is it a failed attempt to get off the island, but he loses his best friend Wilson, this volleyball who's floating out to sea. Tom Hanks can't get to him, can't retrieve him. I still hear the man's anguishing voice in my head. Do you hear it? Wilson! Wilson! Is that good? That good? You know, listen, as laughable as that absurd moment may feel, if you've never seen the movie Castaway, for those of us who've seen it, you know how painful it is to watch, don't you? I watched just that clip this past week and I was finding myself choked up. <laughs> Listen, it, it's Hollywood's unique way that I think the movie spoke so well of. It, it's Hollywood's unique way to show us our desperate need for community. But not only our need. Friends, it is truly how we've been made to function in life. None of us are supposed to live life isolated from one another. 
This is something, again, we see at the very beginning of, the, um, the, uh, of creation, the, the beginning of our Bibles. God said, let us make humankind in our image and in our likeness. So what does God do? God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You know, in the church, we have come to believe in a triune God. Well, what does that mean? We believe that our one God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, listen, I don't have time today to unpack the mystery of our triune God, but for today's purposes, the importance of knowing that is to know that God in and of God's self is community. All right, let me unpack it a little bit. The Greek word that uh, our early church fathers came up with to try to help us understand the Trinitarian nature of God is a perichoresis. Can you say that with me? Perichoresis. Uh, What does that mean? Perichoresis is a Greek word that literally means divine dance. Divine dance. So if you can picture not two but three people dancing together in such sync with such fluidity that you can't even distinguish one person from the other. They are in perfect unity. They relate to one another perfectly. One does not exist, cannot exist without the other. Three in one. Perichoresis. So with that said, part of the image of God that I want to talk about today is how God is relational. And since we were created in the image of God, guess what? We were created to be in relationship with God, and then with one another. Friends, if we live in isolation from God and from each other, hear me, we are being less than what God has actually created us to be. In fact, we we are going to lose sight of who we really are. Listen, we cannot understand our true identity apart from community, godly community. Uh, In in Core 52, our our, uh, book that Mark Moore wrote that we've been using as a guide over the course of this this initiative of raising biblical literacy this year. In his book, regarding our need to understand our deep need for community, he writes this, we'll never know our true selves in isolation. We know ourselves to the extent that we are known. All of us are the sum of our relationships. Now, where this particular truth, I think, becomes an insult to us has to do with the reality that we have been nurtured to live in a world that champions rugged individualism, right? Mark Moore, much to that point, says, our radical individualism is a denial of our identity. God created us to be in community and for community. Friends, I would argue that without godly community to help us gain greater awareness of our true identity, what happens is we move through crises of identity okay what's an identity crisis an identity crisis is just simply a developmental event in a person's life when they experience a level of confusion uncertainty or a reorientation of their own sense of self simply said an identity crisis is asking the question who am i have you ever asked that question who am i Now, personally speaking, we all have experienced identity crises in our life's journeys. Uh, It happens when children go from childhood to teenage years. Like parents. 
Something happens when your 12-year-old child goes from 12 to 13. Am I right? Like there is an identity of crisis that takes place almost overnight in the life of a child that turns into a teenager. It happens when youth pass from adolescence into adulthood. It can happen when people face postpartum depression, midlife crises, empty nest syndrome. I've heard of some of my seasoned colleagues of mine that have confessed that they've went through identity crisis when they retired from ministry. You know, 40 years of, of work where you have been needed by a congregation of people, by a community of people, the day after you retired, guess what? You're no longer needed. I mean, that's a hard pill to swallow. Let me ask you a question. Do you see people around you struggle with this question of identity, who am I? Do you? struggle with this question of identity. Who am I? So, so at the most basic sense, Genesis 1 speaks to the reality that when it comes to identity, each human being at the very least bears the image of God. Friends, we are every single one of us. I don't care who you are. Every single one of us is stamped with the imago dei. Now, this reality alone, I think, speaks to the invaluable sacred worth of every single human being. Listen, from the moment of conception, a person is deserving of dignity, of honor, and of respect. The, the way people have been conditioned by our American culture to so quickly dismiss, devalue, and dishonor another's life breaks my heart. It honestly does. And it does so not only because it's an insult to the person we're devaluing, but it's an insult to the God who stamped his image on that person. But again, it's an image of God who's made of three persons, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. We are made from community, and we are also made for godly community. Now, this need for community at the core of who we are, I think, is so obvious in the way we function in life. You know, every one of us, I think, desires to belong. We desire to be part of something, to be included. We see this starting to unfold in school, don't we? With all the different cliques that happen in middle school and high school. We got some of them in here today. What kind of cliques are there? You got the jocks and the mean girls. The band geeks, I, I, was, I was a band geek, by the way. In the 90s, you also, if I could add to the mix, you had the potheads and the chain smokers and the goth students and the preps, right? Nowadays, people are creating all sorts of groups rallying around some special interest to find identity, an identity that they, that they inherently long to have. Well, what do you have, those special interest groups that people rally around to find identity? Black Lives Matter, right? Antifa, Proud Boys, Neo-Nazis. LGBTQAI+, QAnon, various gangs, the Bloods, the Crips, MS-13, Amnesty International, PETA, MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, Bill's Mafia, right? Dog Pound, Cleveland maybe. I could go on and on and on and on. The fact is we all yearn to connect and belong uh, to something, this, un this, this truth is undergirded by the reality that we are made in the image of a triune God. Friends, our hearts need connection. <laughs> However, all the groups I just, just listed and more, he hear me, every one of them is inadequate 
in helping us fully understand our true identity. Now, I'm not saying being part of any of those groups or some of those groups is a bad thing, but what I am saying is every single one of those groups lacks the capacity and the ability to speak God's truth about who you truly are. Friends, to, tro- to fully understand who you are, you can only discern that while being rooted not in just community, but in a godly community. Friends, we were created first and foremost to be in relationship with, with our God, with the living God. Second, to be in relationship with one another. Last I checked, PETA, Bill's Mafia, or whoever else that I'm talking about, their top priority is not to connect you to the living God, is it? No. When it comes to understanding our true identity, it begins with allowing the one who created us to actually speak that truth into us and not let somebody else do it. That can only be discerned in godly community, a.k.a. the church. Now, the issue of identity crises is nothing new to the world or to the church. 2,000 years ago, uh, you know, as God's people were beginning to form what we have come to know to be Christendom, they went through their own crises of identity. Uh, several such congregations were littered all over modern-day Turkey. Uh, these churches, largely uh, really um, dismissed by the greater society, until they began to gain a following and prominence within that society, did they finally get persecuted. But, but in that society, they struggled with issues of identity. So Peter, a disciple of Jesus who became an apostle to the church, writes them a letter we know as First Peter. And he does so really to kind of encourage them to stand firm in the faith. But then he also uses that opportunity to speak the truth of their identity into them. First uh, Peter 2, it's such a well-known verse, verses out of First Peter 2. Uh, he says this to the church. And I think not only the church 2,000 years ago, but the church today. But you are a, ho- a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into a marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who are you? This is the question that Peter was trying to help the congregations then and the congregations of us today to understand most fully. Due to life distraction, due to pressures from society, due to political turmoil, or a whole host of other things. Man, it is so easy to take our eyes off of who we are in Christ, what we are called to do in Christ, and instead fixate on lesser things. And maybe even inadvertently allow those lesser things to speak a primary identity marker into our lives even though the only one that deserves that right is Jesus Christ because he died on a cross for you and me. We were bought by his precious blood. He gets to speak identity to us. Uh, I had a seminary professor, a really devout man of God, still as I have no doubt, uh, who, uh, if you only knew him by his social media persona, you would never know him as a deep man of God. Now, what you would know of, of him is his political affiliation, the way he applauded his politicals that, that he enjoyed, politicians that he, he favored and, 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 and issues that he championed while he vilified everything else. Now, I, I certainly, again, don't want to dismiss that he's a deep man of God, but when he looks at his outward uh, uh, 
persona to the, to the watching world based off of his Facebook and Instagram postings, you would never know that about him. I, I think to myself, how did he get so hoodwinked, right, by culture to the point that he has laid a primary identity marker in something other than his proximity to, to, to Christ? I, I don't mean at all to be judgmental of this particular person. In fact, I personally, to hold that question up against my own social media engagement as a mirror, right? To see what the watching world would know of me if that's all they knew of me. A church in the um, early years in, in our Bible that is talked about that I really had a lot of admiration for is the Church of Antioch. Uh, every time it's mentioned, they're always doing some really solid thing for the Lord, and, and they're really owning who they are in Christ. And Acts chapter 11, uh, this church in Antioch was so like uh, aware that their primary identity was rooted in Christ that those outside of the church peered into the church and said, you know who these people remind me of? Christ. And so the first time Christians were called Christians in the early church was in Antioch in Acts chapter 11. Christian means little Christ. Friends, they were so uh, uh, affirmed and so understood who they were in Christ that those outside, the only thing they knew about their, watching these people's lives was that they were little Christ. They were connected to Christ. Can you imagine, church, being so sure of who you are and whose you are that those looking at your life who know nothing about you would just think to myself, man, they remind me of somebody. I think it's that Jesus guy. They're little Christ. Listen, understanding our true identity is so critical. Why? Because it guides and motivates our life and mission in this world, doesn't it? That's why special interest groups try to to drive home the point that we, we get the voice in identifying who you are because they need somebody else on their team to drive their mission and their agendas forward. They don't get that right. Only Christ does. Let me ask the question, do you know who you are? The first letter of Peter says that we are called by God out of darkness into God's light. Friends, Peter wanted to remind the church that we do have a place in this world despite what the world thinks of us or how they're going to treat us when we live with deep faith. He, he goes on to say, in Christ, you are God's people. You belong to God. You are part of a new community with a new identity and a new purpose. Paul, Peter, in effect, is asking the church, do you know who you are? And then he gives them the answer. He says, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a, a holy nation. You're God's own people. Listen, the church's identity and subsequently every Christian's identity because we make up the church, the church's identity is not based on ethnicity, on nationality, on background, on political affiliation, on status, on agenda. It is rooted only in Christ Jesus. Paul Cedar writes this, the key to a good self-image, and I think a lot of us lack solid self-image, right? We're pretty insecure people. So the key to a good self-image is found in the image of what we are in Christ Jesus. Friends, I encourage you not to allow your identity to be rooted in something less than your true self. What is your true self? You are a redeemed person. 
You are bought at the price of of Jesus' precious blood and you have been created in the Imago Dei. That's who you are. Don't let the world tell you otherwise, but oh, they'll try. They'll tell you your identity should be rooted in your political affiliation. Your identity should primarily be rooted in your sexuality. Your identity should be rooted in what neighborhood you come from, what part of the world you find yourself in. Thanks be to God, we serve a God who is tenacious enough to seek us out and to save us, the church. And thank God we're part of the church who knows herself well enough in the purpose of her existence, well enough, that the church, the true church of Christ, stays focused on the mission of connecting other people to Christ Jesus, to become healthy in God and courageous in love. Let me end with this. A couple of years ago, 2017, Charlottesville, Virginia. I don't know if you remember that year. New cycle seems to change every few days and we forget what takes place, uh, the horrible things that take place around the world. 2017, there was a demonstration of protesters that were, were protesting a, a, a white nationalist rally that was happening on the other side of Charlottesville. And these protesters are out in the street and a neo-Nazi takes it upon himself to get behind the wheel of a car and drive right into that crowd of protesters, mowing down. Uh, injures multiple people, kills one woman. America is watching what's taking place and just simply we're, we're horrified at what we're seeing, that, that somebody could do this to another human being. But However, there was a guy named Ken Parker who cheered what that neo-Nazi did to this group of protesters. You see, Ken Parker was committed to racial hatred. Member of the KKK, uh, KKK would often... Uh, post pictures of himself bare-chested on his Facebook page that showed all of his swastika tattoos on his body. And as our nation tried to come to grips of the horror, this tragedy that unfolded, uh, makers of a documentary on, on hate groups approached Ken Parker and said, hey, we know you're a white nationalist. We'd love to use you as the, the face of our documentary on, on white supremacy. Would you be willing to be the face? And Ken Parker says, I'd love to talk, to talk about my story and who I am and what we're all about. So he starts to work with this Muslim woman to film this documentary on white supremacy. And Ken Parker picked up in, in the interactions with this woman that she was kind to him and not antagonistic, even though they were on clearly separate parts of any spectrum you can think of. Well, film is produced... Uh, This woman says to Ken Parker, you're invited to give a preview of of the documentary, which Ken did. And Ken, as he watched it, remembered looking at the man on the screen and being very uncomfortable with how he was acting and what he was saying. About that same time, Ken Parker and his fiance moved into a neighborhood in Charlottesville, Virginia, and so happened to be a black man was their neighbor. Started to engage the couple with, with kindness and hospitality, and Ken Parker and his fiance were just taken aback by how kind this person was being to them and got to the point where this neighbor who happened to be a pastor of his church invited Ken Parker and his fiance to their church. They go to their church. White supremacists go into a black church in America. They go in and found the people to be welcoming, loving, and hospitals to such a point they came back the next week and then the next week and then the next week and then the next week. Ken Parker's participation in that church changed his life. Almost one year after he marched as a neo-Nazi in Charlottesville, Virginia, Ken Parker walked into the Atlantic Ocean holding the hand of his black pastor to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Friends, one could say Mr. Parker found his true identity only when he engaged godly community and acknowledged Jesus' lordship over his life. He thought he knew who he was in white supremacy, right? But that wasn't who God created him to be. Only found his true identity in godly community and giving his life over to Jesus Christ. Friends, where are you in all of this? Do you know where your true identity lies? Or are you still allowing other things and groups and people to try to tell you who you are? Can I tell you, please, let the loudest voice in your head be Jesus', Jesus Christ's voice. It is he and he alone that gets to speak the tr- your true identity into you. You are a blessed son and daughter of Jesus Christ, redeemed by his blood and made in the image of our triune God. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, we live in a society that will make every attempt to tell us who we are. They will persuade us even to rally around presumably good things to get us to to stake our lives on their agenda. But Lord, as a church, we only want to be about your agenda. So God, remind us again this day who we are. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, your own people. People who have been called out of darkness and brought into light. And God, use us. Use us as your children to bring others into your light as we teach them to understand who they truly are. It's in Christ's name we pray this and all God's people said, amen.